Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. If we don't do that initiation, that transition from child mind to integrated adult mind, we will continue to relate in relationships like a child. Hey everybody, guess who? It's Ash, another week on the U-Turn Podcast, and I am with Kelsey Grant, uh, who is a love and relationship educator. You can find her on Instagram at Radical Self Love. I was just telling her how much I love saying that. And we're here to talk about how to have more connected relationships. And I sought her out to be on this podcast because I follow her and I just found all of the things she was posting and the information she was sharing to be really moving. And so I'm excited to get your take, Kelsey, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it feels like you're making such an impact that I'm curious kind of what pulled you into working in love and relationships, because usually there's some sort of pain there that inspires somebody to do this work. Maybe not, but I'm curious what brought you here. I mean, I think it had a lot to do with having a lot of relationships that didn't work out the way that I thought that they should, Uh (laughs) to be be honest with you. (laughs) I, you know, like a lot of people grew up with that Disney idea of love. This person comes in riding on their, you know, white horse and then you ride off into the sunset together and like, it's always easy. And like, um, and that just wasn't my experience. And I had had some really healthy relationships in my early twenties, but even inside of those, I felt like something was missing. And then I guess it was around 26. I had a four year relationship that ended. And this was a partner that I had a lot of alignment with in terms of compatibility. We liked to do a lot of the same things. We were running a business together, but there was just something that seemed to be missing. And I kept feeling like this pull to move to the West coast and he didn't want to move. And I just knew I needed to go. So I ended the relationship, you know, we completed it together. And then I ended up moving to the West Coast eight months later. Wow. And when I got here, it became very clear that there was something in my soul that was about to get activated. And I started coaching and I built, you know, a life coaching business and I was doing business consulting. And even that, I was like, you know what? Everyone in their sessions is always talking about relationships and everything that is like the actual source of the breakdown is a relationship, whether it's the relationship to self, the relationship to other relationship to money, relationship to their body, like everything is a relationship. 
but I, I always saw like the core correlation was if they were having a dysfunctional relationship with a coworker, a friend, family member, partner, that was always pointing to some level of discord they were feeling within their relationship to themselves. And then of course, as you know, life happens, you know, I was offered an opportunity, you know, a nice learning opportunity in the form of a relationship. I love how like spiritual people call shitty relationships learning opportunities. We're the best. I do that all the time. My mom's like, how's that friendship going? I'm like, that was a learning opportunity. She's like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was real solid. And I mean, I I don't want to throw it under the bus because they're actually no need, but it is a learning opportunity. It's just such a wonderful reframe for what otherwise was probably an unpleasant experience when you look back on it. Still, if it was learning opportunity yeah okay so tell me and so within that relationship like it was very much one of those super you know intense relationships where like there was a big spark at the very beginning it was like whoa okay yeah this is intense I gotta go with this and uh and then I immediately started to feel off kilter and within a couple months of us dating, there was this woman that came into the mix and I was like, Ooh, I don't feel good about this one. Like that she's unsafe and not actually knowing that my partner at the time was not creating safety within our relationship. I didn't even have context for what that even meant. And I just know that something felt off Mm. and the way that he was interacting with her felt off the way she was interacting felt off. And six months into our relationship, he abruptly ended it. Oh God. And it spent like spun me out into this tailspin. And I remember like literally sitting on my bedroom floor, like bawling my eyes out and also having like this really interesting dialogue in my head being like, logically, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, yes, you, you guys were together for six months and like, there was some really, you know, wonderful things that happened there, but like the level of upset that you're experiencing doesn't actually fit and correlate with the intensity of your relationship, the duration of your relationship. Like what is this also about? Cause it was about the ending of the relationship, but it was also about something else. And what it was pulling up was that every relationship that I hadn't grieved was now being pulled up for review. Wow. And I was now getting an opportunity to grieve and integrate those experiences because in my past, I just didn't have the tools. I didn't have the awareness. I didn't have the bandwidth to do that. And as I went further down into that process, I realized that the root of, you know, the discomfort that I was feeling had a lot to do with the rejection of self, that I just didn't have a super healthy relationship with myself in terms of the totality. Like I could, you know, appreciate my talents. I could appreciate my gifts. I could appreciate all of the ways in which I showed up really powerfully as a partner. But there's this other part of me that I kept rejecting, which was my shadow. So the part of me that felt insecure, the part of me that felt jealous, the part of me that felt off kilter, that, you know, that feeling at the beginning of my relationship that something wasn't right here, I rejected that you know, wisdom within myself. And that was a big part of why I was feeling so much discord, so much pain in the ending of that connection. Well, this is really key because I think a lot of people feel 
the depth of connection and it's such a powerful force mm -hmm. and that bright shiny light can coexist in your body with a darkness of sure. feeling like this is not a yes what is that bridge that somebody can really allow themselves to see that something that feels so good or quote unquote right is actually a no well a lot of it in terms of romantic relationships has to do with that spark the spark is not a sign of an invitation to proceed Oh, that's so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> the spark is like an alert to turn around. Do not pass go. <laughs> like, for real? This person is actually emotionally unsafe for you. And the reason behind that is because they actually, in terms of their energy signature, how they construct their reality, they actually are a complete uh, embodiment of the parent or the primary caregiver that you had the most trouble getting your needs met with in childhood. Mm. So you're actually going to replay that relationship with that person. And that's why you have the spark. And the spark is that cue of like, this is familiar. This reminds you of where you've been before. It wasn't fulfilling, but it's familiar. So, Wait, um, but let me, let me catch this. So I, yeah. I've heard this before that the bigger, the attraction, the stronger, the attraction, the stronger, the wound, and that this is coming from something inside of us. But there's also like that friendly spark, you know, where somebody you talk to is funny and you're funny and you guys kind of have this funny energy together that you're enjoying each other. I mean, isn't there a beautiful spark too? Like, what do you mean when you say like the bigger, the spark, the bigger, the wound, you know what I mean? Like, how can we help yeah. somebody discern a wonderful spark from a spark that might point to a personal development opportunity? Because I have a girlfriend right now whom I love so much and she and I actually literally before this podcast Kelsey I sent her a voice note on whatsapp and I said hey look I'm so glad you're entering into a relationship with somebody that you feel like you love because she's had a lot of men who have adored her but she hasn't been into them this is the first one she's ever like communicated to me in recent the recent year that has been like I this is a yes I want to be with him mm. but he is suicidal. He has suicidal thoughts. He's attempted suicide. And she has been with multiple men who have gone through like mega trauma. And she seems to have this magic spark with those ones. Uh -huh. um, I don't see her as coming from a, a broken home, you know, and I hate that word because it feels like a judgment, a broken home, but a home where somebody was trying to commit suicide or somebody had traumas that they were spilling on other people in the house. She seems to have come from a nice home and her parents divorced, but they seem to have done so really consciously. So to me, she has the example of what you're saying, this like massive spark attraction to these men where I'm hearing her tell me are like really what feels like not healthy for her. Hmm. Yeah. And trauma doesn't have to mean like we come from a broken home. Yeah. So talk to me, like, how do we figure this one out? So, you know, Trauma happens, you know, just naturally for everyone. Think of it in terms of when you are in utero with your mother, you are literally fused to her, which meant that every single need that you had in terms of the sustainability of your life was met. And it was met without you having to do anything for that. And then we are born into the world and then we start growing. And as toddlers, like our parents aren't 100% attuned 100% of the time. They can't be. It's impossible. And so it, it literally could be something so simple as you're in the kitchen playing one day and your mom is cooking dinner, your dad's cooking dinner. And you're like, mom, mom, dad, dad, pay attention to me. And they're like, no. And because the pot is boiling over on the stove and that potentially could be dangerous, that could hurt you. And so they need to address 
you know, the stove and turn it down and then they can attune to you. But in the mind of a child, all we hear is that rejection of something was important to me and my parent turned away. The mind of a child doesn't have the capacity to see that in the bigger context. And so our early childhood imprinting is full of experiences like that, where the association to the behavior is one of, oh, there must be something wrong with me because my parent turned away or they weren't responsive or they weren't present. As we grow into adults, we develop this capacity for critical thinking and we can see things a little bit differently. And if we don't go through a rite of passage or a rite of initiation, and as women, we have a little bit more access to this because we we start bleeding when we go into our puberty stage. So there actually is a change in our physiology and that helps kind of shift us from girlhood to womanhood. But if we don't Pair that with an emotional transition from childhood to adulthood, we stay locked in that paradigm of acting as a child in our adult relationships. And you just made me think of the Zoolander movie where he says, I don't trust anything that bleeds for five days and doesn't die. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it it is one of those things that we do have to keep on our radar because trauma, like, and Yes, there are like certainly a spectrum of trauma, but we all have had those wounding patterns occur because our parents are human. They cannot be 100% attuned 100% of the time. And part of, you know, moving into adulthood is understanding why they couldn't be. But until we do that, you know, deeper work, we're going to like unconsciously be attracted to people who we can replay those original pain patterns with. So let's say mom turned away or dad turned away. And what we made that mean was that we're easily rejected. We may attract partners who will leave us in that same state of feeling that same feeling we had as a child. And so with your friend who, you know, is attracting, you know, men who are suicidal, it doesn't necessarily mean that that was what she witnessed in childhood, but it's definitely going to fit a similar energy signature in terms of that parent that she had the hardest time getting her needs met with. Maybe that parent was emotionally unavailable in some way, shape or form or physically unavailable. And so we go into this caretaking mode of like, if I just, you know, take care of mom or take care of dad in this way, then my love will be the thing that, you know, saves them. My love will be the thing that makes them, you know, want to turn towards me and it'll make me enough. And that's what I actually asked her in the voice note. It just seems like the more pain the guy has, the more connected she feels to him. Mm. And so I'm like, God, you're, you're attracting so many men who are in so much pain. Like, I, I don't know if this is true, but I wonder if you learned somewhere that pain is like the best vehicle to connect or that there's connection through pain because I connect with her through a lot of things. Pain might be one of them, but joy is probably the leader in where we connect, you know? Mm-hmm. And often like our, our patterns in romantic relationships are very different than our patterns in let's say friendship. Yeah. So because romantic relationship is a replication of the most karmic relationship that we have. And the most karmic relationship we have is with our family of origin. And so, you know, she may have that imprint of, you know, the caretaker and she probably gets something out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I can totally resonate with her because for the longest time I really was attracted to wounded birds. You know, the men that weren't, you know, had, they hadn't gone through their transformation. They hadn't gone through their healing. They hadn't learned how to really relate as, you know, adult men. So they were coming to the relationship, not 
fully done their work. And so I would actually be able to extract a sense of worthiness by being the guide to guide them through that process. Yes. Oh, I've always, I literally was just telling my mom, I'm like, no more broken birds that I'm trying to help fly, mom. Like I'm attracting <laughs> men who feel whole and who feel ready to show up for me. And, you know, that was a pattern for me as well. What do you think are some of the core patterns that attract people into relationships that don't feel good? Because I know this is one of them. Like there's women like us who have developmental skills and we find feel a bond through being a healing force for people. And, and as a result, we attract people who want to heal, but or, or maybe they don't want to heal, but they definitely have opportunities that are very present in their day-to-day -day life. And we're all healing. We're all a work in progress. But, you know, that kind of pain that I'm talking about. What do you think are some other core uh, patterns that you notice with people in relationships? Um, like wanting to feel special. Like, you know, you're somehow unique. <laughs> and, you know, this person who kind of amplifies the wound, you know, initially will, you know, feed that part like, Oh, I, I feel so special in this person's presence. And then eventually like the switch gets flipped and then we're back into that early state of like not getting our needs met. Oh, um, another one could be like a really strong idea of right and wrong. And then you align with someone who, you know, you have fierce alignment with in terms of like your righteousness. <laughs> Tell me more. And, what does that look you know, like? You know, in terms of having like a very strong belief system about how people should and should not behave, um, what they should and should not do. And a lot of, you know, your energy is spent trying to convert people to your belief system. Oh, my gosh. I have a, a French um, family member who whenever I live in Paris part time and whenever I'm there, that's what our conversation is, is me hearing her tell me what's right and what's wrong. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, and how did that show up in partnership? How are you seeing that? Um, well, how it could show up initially is like that spark that would be like, oh my gosh, here's someone who actually shares the exact same perspective that yeah. I have. And like, I'm, I'm never going to feel that discord of having to explain myself. And then eventually, like when enough, you know, connection has been established, that's usually when we start to see the shadow aspect of that, which might be like the imposition of a very strong idea, let's say in the world of sexuality, like, and your partner has a very strong idea of how you should or should not behave. Okay. So interesting. And I mean, those of you who are listening, I know just talking about how to have more connected relationships, needless to say, most of this conversation amongst us, Kelsey, has been about how to connect yourself. So mm. I know that you had asked before we started recording the question, do you have a safe relationship with yourself? And it sounds like from, you know, lo the looks of the relationship you had, that was a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, you know, there wasn't safety perhaps with yourself and that was what kept you there. But can you explain what this question looks like for everybody listening? Like, how do you check in and ask yourself, am I safe with myself? Mm. So the, the first place you want to look is how much of the time do you spend criticizing yourself compared to how much time do you spend championing for yourself? So what we're really striving for is, you know, 90% you're a champion for yourself. You're building yourself up. You're like, yes, I, I know I'm, I'm freaking rad. And, you know, 10% of the time, you know, we all have a shadow, like we all have those insecurities. And so it's, it's normal for that to show up. Um, you know, let's say 10% of the time. 
Mm-hmm. where we might be like hypercritical or really hard on ourselves, but we're ultimately able to move through that experience. Mm-hmm. But if we keep rejecting, you know, our shadow for me, like I've had a history, like I'm a Leo. Okay. And so <laughs> historically I have been possessive and territorial in my relationships. And where that came from was like just not knowing my own worth feeling like you're not worthy to keep them yeah and so I needed to control or trying to you know manipulate or control someone's behavior and so if I kept rejecting that part of myself and that's really what kept it in play for so long is like I shouldn't be jealous or I shouldn't be possessive like uh, what is wrong with me that I keep doing this And then, of course, also getting that shame feedback from a partner being like, what is wrong with you that you are so insecure? And, you know, it wasn't until I came to that place of like, could I embrace? Could I accept the fact that that is part of who I am? It's not the like holistic, you know, piece of me, but like it it is part of who I am. Can I make peace with that? Or am I going to stay in resistance to it my entire life and keep playing this out? Because I keep being in resistance and I keep playing it out and it keeps, you know, not turning out different for me. So maybe this might be the actual access point to shifting is if I accept that, hey, these are, you know, what lingers in my shadow. Mm -hmm. And instead of making it wrong, inquire like, hey, jealousy, what what do you want to communicate to me about how to create emotionally safe relationships because jealousy actually has a lot of information inside of it. It has a lot of information in terms of your own needs around safety, security, and the agreements of your relationship that will help either strengthen the bond of that connection or break it down. Well, and I'm also just noticed, and and this might be helpful for everybody listening because I always make myself the sacrificial lamb for everybody's development on this podcast, <laughs> the guinea pig, as you will. I, I recently had a friend who she told me on the phone the other day that um, her career isn't really a priority to her compared to her love life and that she's not willing to focus on her career when it comes to spending her time because she would rather meet the right person and have a family. And I noticed that it triggered a feeling of jealousy inside of me. And I was like, God, what is this? Like, I haven't felt jealousy in a long while. So I didn't know what it was almost for a second because it just was like an unfamiliar thing. And I'm like, why am I mad? And we continue to talk and she's been really focused a lot on dating. And every time we talk, there's like, we have a long conversation about her love life, which I actually love because she's one of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, And I love knowing everything going on with her. But I noticed that these judgments came up inside of me of like, God, like she needs to get a life. There's more to life. You know what I mean? And, and then also with that, this jealousy of like, oh, but I wish I had the time to just focus on my love life. I have a podcast and two companies and a talk show. I was, you know, like I have all these things going on. And, um, so I'm curious, like if we could take a look at me as an example for everybody listening, what do I do with that jealousy that I feel? Hmm. Is it, is it so much jealousy or is it envy? Because it kind of sounds like envy to me. Well, I think there is an element that it could be envy. 
Um, but I think there's jealousy because her parents support her. She's nearly 30 years old. Everything's taken care of. She can afford to fully just do whatever she wants and be a lady of leisure. So I think there's like a jealousy of like, nobody's taking care of me. Like, you know, I'm working on my second company right now, Cake Publishing, which is a ghostwriting house, a PR firm, and it's, it's building and it's going really well. And the company before this, I lost uh, $5 million in revenue after making millions and, mm. and it was really painful. And so I think in that time, there was a part of me that wanted to be saved, wanted somebody to take care of me. And so I think listening to somebody who is putting their time into something I really want to, I want to put my time into my love life, but I, I have to take care of me and my career too. And so I think there was jealousy. I think it was like, ugh, she gets everybody to take care of her and she's just going to go on dates all day. And here I am on a spreadsheet. Hmm. That still sounds like envy to me. Oh, tell envy me the difference. Is wanting what someone else has. Jealousy is um, perceiving a threat that someone is going to take away what you have. Oh, no. I mean, I definitely felt like annoyed, like annoyed and in judgment of her, but I didn't feel like I don't want her to have that. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's not like her experiencing that is a threat to what you're creating, but more so it sounds to me like um, you kind of want that same ability to maybe relax yes. and enjoy the sweetness of your life. And it's hard, you know, to see that mirror of like, ah, like, why do you get to just like chill? You know, be, yeah, chill and be in your feminine and just like flow and la la la. And like, um, I can totally understand why that would bring up that experience of envy. Well, there was also some judgments, you know, of like, you're making this your life, like you're abandoning mm -hmm. yourself, like there's more mm -hmm. to life. When really, I know in my heart, I want to bring great love into my life and meet the right partner. And so I'm so curious for anybody who's experienced something like this. And by the way, what an amazing distinction of envy versus jealousy. I never thought about that because <laughs> um, I've been like, oh, my God, I love this person so much. I don't want to yeah. not have this, but I'm mad at her right now for having it. I want that. Mm -hmm. You know, what do people do with these feelings and how do we connect further with ourselves through them? I mean, the first step is doing what you just did, which is identifying it and being able to even just speak that out loud of like, I am having an experience of envy and I still love my friend. I still want her to be great in the world. I want her to succeed. It's not like I, I don't want her to have those things, but I also am now clear that I want that for me too. And so like, that's the first step is just making peace with reality and saying there is a part of me that experiences envy sometimes. So we don't want to identify like I am envious because then that's all you can ever be. Yeah. Very you know? limiting. So, very, very limiting. And so we want to go with the direction of, you know, I sometimes have an experience of envy. Well, yeah. And I think we're all of it, right? Like yeah. I'm a love bug and I'm also an asshole. Like I feel yeah. like I'm 100%. all of the things. Yeah. And like to be able to make peace with that. And that's where most people struggle okay. is being able to actually hold both. It's an either or for a lot of people. I'm either good or I'm bad. Yeah. Why do you think we get that way? What made us this way? I mean, I feel like this is probably an evolutionary thing. It has a lot to do with our negativity bias that was hardwired in when we were cavemen and cave women, you know, and that was more of a protection mechanism to keep us safe from the saber toothed tiger and not being eaten for lunch. Mm. You know, but as we've evolved, like we've also evolved in terms of our emotional intelligence and developing logic and reason. And so we really have to just really take a look at that fear and be like, is this, you know, is this a justifiable fear in terms of me living through it? 
Like, is this fear really valid for my life right now? Or is this like a very old instinctual fear that's naturally coming up because it's part of the oldest part of my brain. And so if we can start there, like that moves us into a territory where there's just more space to accept that, yeah, we have a shadow side and we have a light side. There are parts of us that are going to experience jealousy and envy and rage and, you know, all of all of the, the things that would be considered, let's say, bad emotions. Mm-hmm. Like, we've got that. Mm-hmm. But then we also have the capacity, like if you have the ability to feel fear, the flip side of that coin is love. You know, and the like the flip side of envy is collaboration. So we have like all of these coins and one side of the coin is the shadow and the other side is the light. And sometimes we forget that it's a coin and we can flip it over and we can develop the other side. So if we experience, you know, contrast, that gives us a ton of insight and clarity into what it is that we actually desire. Yes, and, and, and also the duality is just so necessary because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize there's no such thing as light unless you have dark to create exactly. that light in the dark, you know? <laughs> and so it's, it's all parts of us, but I think these, these, you know, in order to be nice, you need to have been mean to have a context of what nice mm-hmm. looks like. And so I, I know this wholeness, but I guess, you know, when it comes to having a release or safe relationship with yourself, because I know that's your first question, how can people kind of go through what we just went through with my non-jealousy, my envy and create a safer relationship with themselves? Number one is Mm -hmm. noticing it and and allowing it to be there. Yeah. And I would even like take it one step before that and, you know, just create the environment to do this work. So if your body is in a, in a state of alarm or agitation, it's going to be very challenging to even admit what's true for you. And so we want to re-regulate the nervous system first, which is it's simple, like, and it's free and you can literally do it anywhere. And it has everything to do with your breath. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. So if we think about it in terms of you're in the wild and let's say a bear hops out behind the tree and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to be lunch here. Your body goes into protection mode. And what it does in terms of your breath is it creates a much more shallow breathing experience so that you can conserve energy and get out of there. And so we have to actually signal to our brain that there isn't an actual threat. And, and we signal that through our breath because when you are in a compromised situation or let's say you're running away from a predator, yeah, you're breathing in a much more shallow state. But when you're at peace and you're actually safe, you can breathe real deep and real slow. Mm, it's like you're, you're on high alert and you're putting your nervous system through your breath. Totally. On and so, overdrive. Yeah, so that's where it needs to start. We have to actually re-regulate the body first. So does that just look like starting to check in with how you're breathing? Yeah, and I like to do um, this breathwork practice with the women in my classes where 
Uh, you inhale slowly for the count of seven. Then you hold your breath for seven counts, and then you exhale for seven counts, and you do that seven times. Okay. It's usually enough to reset your system. Okay. And if it's like a super intense trauma trigger, you might have to do that, you know, cycle, that seven cycle a few times. Oh, interesting. Some people sometimes need to run it out. Like if I get real agitated, I'm like, okay, I need to go run this out and then take some deep breaths. And then I do the emotional and intellectual inquiry. Okay. Tell me about that. What does that look like? So that would look like just identifying what the experience is. What is the emotion that I'm experiencing right now? Mm -hmm. And is it sadness? Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it envy? Um, what, whatever it is, just call it out. I'm having the experience of feeling and fill in the blank. Then the final piece of that is, and it's okay. It's valid that I'm having that experience. Mm, validation. And, yeah. you know, it's so interesting because I found that that's probably one of the most damaging things I've ever experienced in a relationship for me, or at least for my soul, was not being validated. Mm -hmm. And so I think ever, anybody who's listening, just to take a pause on that, um, because there's an opportunity not just to validate other people, but for first to validate yourself. And I think also on a deeper level, nobody can make you wrong for something you own, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to own something about yourself, you have nothing to hide anymore or fear. So that's wonderful. Okay. Beautiful. And you know, something to be said too, about if someone makes you wrong for your emotional experience, that's a red flag because your experience is yours. When someone tells you, no, that's not what you're experiencing. Um, you really need to check that relationship because your experience is yours. Like if who is to tell you that you're not experiencing envy or, uh, fear or whatever it is, but because, and this is how you can tell if someone is emotionally safe or not, because if, if they immediately hear that your experience is envy and they're like, Oh, you shouldn't be feeling that way. That's not actually, you know, true for you. And you know, it's just love and light, just love and light like that. It's denial. Uh, Oh, it's, it just drives me freaking crazy. It is crazy. kind of the worst. <laughs> I've seen it, that. it is the worst. It is the worst. It's like this spiritual positivity bypass and yeah. it is so dishonoring. It's so funny. I love that you have like a trigger on this right now, Kelsey. There's a part of me that's like, what's coming up for you? Do you need to breathe this out? We're going <laughs> to, we're going to do some shit right now, but I'm going to let you have it. And I'm also curious about spiritual bypassing. I freaking love that you just even said that word because I don't think anybody's ever brought this up, but I think it happens a lot. And I would love if you and I could collaborate right now because, you know, that's the opposite of my envy is collaboration. Yeah. And that's where I'm at right now. And really sit with like, what are some of the things people say that are a spiritual bypass? Because, you know, when it, when it comes to having a safe relationship with yourself, a lot of the times, if you don't have one, you're spiritually bypassing. So one thing that I've heard a lot of people do in relationships that they want to, that they want to stay in or that are relationships that are very toxic for them is that they'll say our souls are meant to be together. Mm. And it's like mm -hmm. such a fucking bypass because I'm like, your souls are not meant to be together. If, if he's hitting you, if you're yeah. in a physically abusive relationship, if he's emotionally abusing you, if he's not validating you, if he's making you wrong for being a soul, having a human experience, being who you are, 
and you say our souls are meant to do this work. I had a friend whose husband cheated on her and she had no idea until she had six kids with him and she found $300,000 on a credit card she didn't even know existed in their finances and it was prostitutes, strippers, hotels and vacations with these women when she thought he was just on a work trip. Mm. And she used this one. She's like, our souls are meant to be together. I'm meant to work this out with him. So is there any other spiritual bypasses that you can help people see right now in love and relationships where people are trying to keep themselves stuck where they are and using language or thoughts or limiting beliefs to keep themselves there? I mean, one of the really popular ones is only love and light. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> like, How dark am like, I? I just was like, fuck love and light. No, but like, <laughs> no, I, I get where, where you're coming from though, because it's a complete denial of our shadow. Mm-hmm. Like, or the statement only love is real. Uh, no, anyone who's ever had a contrasting emotional experience, that's pretty fucking real. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's just as valid as those moments where you're experiencing bliss and love and connection. And, you know, so those ones I think are really, really damaging. Any sort of tone of I have to do this. Yeah. Like any sort of we were me- any meant to be stuff. This is meant to be and I have to be here uh, and choosing to be somewhere because you decide that some force decided you're supposed to be there. Um, feels to me like a spiritual bypass. But yeah, you're definitely right. I think that there is a bit of an infection in the personal development space where it's like positivity only. And it's like, how the fuck are we supposed to maintain positivity if somebody died and we're sad for like six months? You got to allow, 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 which comes back to safety with yourself. So what are some indicators right now that somebody does not have a safe relationship with themselves? And how can somebody step into creating more safety? You said breathing. Yeah, breathing and then expanding their language around emotion Mm -hmm. so that they're able to identify the emotion that's coming up. Okay. So a lot of people have a very limited language around their emotions. Um, A really great book is called The Language of Emotion, um, and it's by Carla McLaren. Great. And like... To me, like, that's the encyclopedia of feelings and emotions. Beautiful. <laughs> um, also, the, all the work on nonviolent communication, they also do, like, tons of free worksheets on their website um, of different feelings that can come up for people. And just to expand your language. And for me, like, I have those sheets printed out around my house. Like, if I get really confronted, and even though, like, I am in this work all day long, when you get triggered, your mind goes blank. Yeah. And so you you actually do need to set yourself up for success by having those prompts around you. So I have the books around me. I have, I've got the worksheets and I have it like stored on my phone. So if I like, no matter where I am, if I were to get triggered, I would be able to pull that up as a prompt of, and scan the list of like, okay, these are actually all the possible feelings I could be having, which one feels most in resonance to the experience I'm having. From there, I'm able to actually honor what's true for me in that moment. And, you know, by honoring it, I just mean, Kelsey, right now you're having an experience of frustration. That's okay. It's valid. There's a good reason why you feel frustrated. Hmm. And what is frustration saying to you? That was another step you had said, giving it a voice. Yeah. And like, what is it trying to communicate to you? Mm -hmm. And because there's always something that it wants to tell you about 
you know, whether it's your needs or maybe it's around a certain behavior, maybe it's around a certain relationship. Um, but it can always be boiled down to your needs in the situation. Yes. And before I even ask you, because I know that before we started recording, we talked about the question, do you know what you need? And I'm really excited for what you have to say about this, because I kind of was like, do I know what I need? I think I do. Um, but you know, so just those of you listening, I remember Kelsey saying, do you have a safe relationship with yourself? A primary indicator is how you talk to yourself. If you're berating yourself, um, what is like probably one other, you know, breathing, if you're, if you have shallow breathing, what else is there, Kelsey, to show anybody who's listening right now that maybe they don't have a safe relationship with themselves? Um, pay attention to how you view other people. Judgment. So, yeah, if you have a constant filter, and this is the key, it has to be constant. You know, every once in a while, we're all going to throw on our judgment hats and, you know, we're going to be in a bad mood and we, we might talk shit about someone in our head. Um, but if that is a constant thing, like you're, you walk down the street and you're just assuming negative intent about strangers, like, oh, that person cut me off on purpose or like, Oh, that person is walking too close to me and they're such an asshole. And like we make these judgments about someone's character. So this is where we really want to pay attention. Am I slamming someone's character or am I just not okay with their behavior? Mm. Cause if I'm collapsing their behavior with a character flaw, that is a huge indication that I have some major work to do with my relationship to self. Yes. Because I mean, and I always say this is that who you are is so much bigger than somebody's experience of you, that you're not just your behavior. There's so much more. 100%. And if we were, you know, enslaved to let's say some of the mistakes that we've made, and that that was the determining factor of who we could become. This, I mean, this world's already a mess, um, but it would be intolerable. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, we can see that within ourselves of like, oh, I've changed. Like, there are things that I have done in my past that I maybe wasn't proud of or, you know, now that I have more information, like I understand that that maybe wasn't the most elevated choice I could have made. Um, but at the time, like it provided the perfect contrast, but you know, and then we're, we're not as generous with other people sometimes, especially if that relationship to self is pretty toxic. Got it. So we, we won't be able to have that space you know, for the possibility for them to transform or change. And we will collapse their behavior with their character. So the perfect example, this is a very triggering thing. Um, I did a TEDx talk on it and who of people got real fired up, <sighs> but, um, the whole position of cheating and infidelity. And so a lot of people do collapse the behavior of infidelity with the character flaw. There's just, you know, this person is a lost cause. They're a horrible human. And if we can start to pull those apart and say, yeah, the behavior is dysfunctional, the behavior is not okay, but that doesn't mean that that person isn't worthy of love and kindness and respect and healing. Mm, this is what Brene Brown talks about in Braving the Wilderness, dehumanization, yeah. dehumanizing. And by the way, this is insidious, right? Because this is what caused the Holocaust. This is what causes mm -hmm. genocide is when you dehumanize people mm -hmm. and it justifies um, mass murder. That's one of the, the keys to mass murder. Okay. 100%. And so, 
like in that relationship that I brought up, you know, that was my big learning experience. <laughs> um, there were multiple experiences of infidelity. So painful. So and it, painful. it like literally rocked my center, but it brought me to this really beautiful relationship with myself because I got to see where I was invalidating my intuition like the points in our story, when I could look back after all of that came out in the open, I'm like, huh, I actually knew. And there was a part of me that didn't trust me. There was a part of me that didn't trust that intuitive hit. And I was so hungry for being in a relationship that I overrode my relationship with self to prioritize a relationship to other. Yes. And this is so like, I see this all the time, even with me, like I called off a wedding. Uh, so did my a close friend of mine. And this is where the, the work is, right? Is after going through these painful experiences, being able to look at them and say, oh, wow, I, I, my intuition was there and I just didn't listen. And if you let the experience change you, you will be so much more connected to your intuition Okay, so you talk about, do you have a safe relationship with yourself? Some tools, whether it's your breathing, whether it's looking at your emotions, whether it's giving them a voice, um, taking a look at your shadow, um, and, and also getting clear on what you need. So what are your thoughts? Like, how do we figure out if we know what we need? Well, most people don't. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's just call it what it is. Like, most people have no fucking clue what they need to be at their best. And where that comes from, like going back to like at the very beginning where I was saying, you know, as a, an infant, like in the womb, in utero, you didn't need to be responsible for your needs because your needs were magically provided for you. Do you know what's so interesting is we have um, a podcast episode of Stephen Gyllenhaal, um, Jake Gyllenhaal's dad, who oh, wow. did the documentary in utero. And this is the concept that he talks about. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't wait to listen to that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It feels so, like so an good. alien journey. Like that podcast interview, I felt like by the end I was in like on Jupiter or something. Like it was just fascinating, but it was also so extraterrestrial, everything we talked about. I have goosebumps already. Yeah. Good. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's that whole relationship of like when we were infants, our needs were 100% accounted for in utero 100% of the time. And then even as infants, like our parents generally... Generally speaking, unless you came from a really turbulent upbringing, um, our parents or primary care caregivers were pretty attuned. Not 100%, but pretty attuned. And because they're our primary caregivers and they're adults, they generally know what we need. Well, and this is also fascinating because a lot of the times as kids, we feel like a desperation. You know, we cry a lot. And the truth of the matter is that we can't survive on our own until a certain mm -hmm. age. So those tears, that pain is literally coming from the inability to survive on your own. So I think it's somewhere, somewhere along the line, we become an adult. We have these, this pattern of experiences and it might trigger this, like, I can't survive. I'm not going to, I'm not going to survive, you know? Yeah. And because we've had parents who have, or caregivers who have attended to those needs when we didn't know what they were and that supported our survival, then if we don't do that initiation, that transition from child mind to integrated adult mind, 
we will continue to relate in relationships like a child. And this is where that magical thinking comes in of like, I expect my partner to magically know what I need, even though I don't even know what I need. (laughs) This was like something that I picked up early on in my experience. So it was normal that I would, you know, start to embody this in my own relationships. But (laughs) I would get into this conflict situation with a partner and my partner would be like, just tell me what you need. And I'd be like, I don't know. But like internally being so upset that they didn't just magically know what I needed. Like I wanted them to absolve me from the responsibility of making contact with my own needs. And, you know, it wasn't until I was actually willing to do the personal development to get into my own world and understand like relationally, what do I need in order to feel met? But before I can even do that, I need to know Kelsey, like on a basic level, uh, like of your self care, what do you need to be at your best? Like, and this is where we can break it down and get real simple. And like, you don't have to hire a coach to do this. You may have to hire a coach to do the relational stuff, but in terms of your basic needs, that's where you want to begin. So what are your needs around hydration every day? Huh? What are your needs around fuel and your food every day? Like what does your body need for nutrition for fuel? Um, What does your body need in terms of sleep and rest? We want to start with those basic needs and we take them for granted. And because we're so unconscious about it, it's impossible to bring consciousness and awareness to those more emotional needs that are the next level. Like you can't get to emotional needs until you have covered your basic physical needs. I love that. I've never asked myself how much hydration I need in a day. That's so fascinating. (laughs) And because I think if we started asking those questions, we would very quickly find out how out of alignment we are with ourselves. And there's no one to place that responsibility on but me. And that can be a hard thing for people to hold about themselves of like, oh, a lot of these results that I'm getting or not getting have a lot to do with what I'm giving or not giving to myself. Okay, and how do we go deeper? How do we see, what are some indicators or alerts that we have a need? Whenever you're feeling discord. Okay, disconnect. Yeah, disconnect, discord, discomfort. There's a need in there, whether it's a physical need. A lot of the time when we're feeling stress and anxiety, we can pin it to somewhere in our physical needs sector. Something's off kilter. Let's say for argument's sake, all of the things in the physical sector are covered. Then we want to go into maybe the mental sector of like, okay, mentally what's going on for me? And can I, you know, provide myself a story or a frame for reality that gives me a little bit more space, a little bit more relief? Can I see this differently? And then we move up to the emotional world. And then that, then it's much easier to make contact with our vulnerability because we've created safety with those two other levels first. And then it's much more safe to be like, ooh, okay, I actually need some reassurance. What about if you have a tantrum when you just want something? Maybe it's not a need. Like sometimes I really want a cupcake, but I don't need it, you know? <laughs> but I definitely get a little like irrit- irritable because I'm like, I want a piece of cake. You know, because recently I found out I'm I'm allergic to all these things. Like I was saying, you know, which has just been like such a heartbreak for me. And I went to a birthday party. They were passing around birthday cake. And I was literally like a dog that hadn't been fed, you know, like hovering over the cake, smelling the cake. 
And um, so I don't know, I think that's a metaphor for a lot of the times. We have a lot of wants. How do we figure out what's a need? Um, so we want to look at what that action would provide you with. So is it providing you with an experience that amplifies your nourishment or is it providing you with an experience that takes away from your nourishment overall, like the grand scheme of your life? So yeah, in the immediate gratification of eating a piece of cake, yeah, we feel satiated. Yes, we feel the sweetness of that in our mouth. But then the aftermath of that sometimes in certain bodies will cause a lot of discord or discomfort. Yeah. And so we want to look at like holistically, does this behavior amplify my experience of being alive? In my case, it's so funny because I ended up eating the cake at one of them and my friend texted me, how was the cake? And I gave a hashtag inflamed but alive. You know, like my whole body <laughs> is inflamed. So it's, it's so true. It's like we we uh, allow these instant gratifications to become needs. And then that's a whole podcast on addiction probably. Sure. And like our culture's... Uh, adverse relationship to pleasure so you know if we have this context or this belief that pleasure is bad well then we we kind of we're in resistance to it and then we have this impulse to you know take in something really sweet or take in something that makes us feel good because we're in resistance to feeling good because most of us haven't been conditioned to feel good like mm-hmm. we're, we've been conditioned in this world in general to look for what's wrong, to look for what's lacking. Like lack, limitation, scarcity, fear are the paradigms that actually dominate our culture. Yes. And like, I'm just listening to you. And I was thinking to myself, a lot of the times we're talked, you know, I, we did it an episode with Marla Mattinson, love expert as well. And she was saying, you know, um, write a list of all the qualities in a partner that you want and then make a list of how you want to feel. But I think this is really interesting, too, is that I've never heard anybody say, and make a list of all the things you know you need. Yeah, because going into a new relationship, being clear on that, like, and I would never recommend you sit down on date number one and, like, pull out your list and be like, these are the things that I need. Can you provide that? Like, I'm not in the mood for another learning experience this time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but people who have been hurt sometimes will go in very guarded like that, and they're trying to protect themselves from pain. But here's the thing, like, pain and love go hand in hand. You can't have love without pain, but you can have love without suffering, Ah, so fucking good. How do you know when you're in pain? How do you know when you're suffering? Yeah. And like, that's also like, you had asked me like really early on, like, how do you distinguish whether the spark is the wound or whether that's like the spark of alignment? Yes. Does this go back down to the pain or the suffering? Exactly. So the pain, like the spark that is rooted in the wound, you're experiencing suffering on some level because you're like, I can't live without this person and I can't fully be myself in their presence because if I was to reveal like all of who I am, they might leave. And so I'm going to try and like be on my best behavior and like not ruffle the feathers or like make any waves. Whereas like when you have alignment, you're like, "Mm, I'm going to be me. And like, this just feels like resonance. Like, I actually feel stable. I feel secure. And I know that I could actually bring my truth to this dynamic, whereas the wound is like, I, I'm, I'm kind of guarding against that all the time. Oh, Kelsey, I could talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> well, so everybody who's listening, what is like the one thing if they completely forget everything, because I do get podcast amnesia, and they remember one thing from this conversation? Breathe, 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 breathe. Okay, thank you so much. Where can everybody find you? Because God knows they need more. I want more. (laughs) 
I am most active on Instagram. So I share all of my upcoming programs and everything that I'm up to on Instagram. So radical self-love and I'm on there literally every single day. Wonderful. And that's the best place to find me. Thank you so much for your time, Kelsey. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, it's Ash, and I am just reflecting on this episode with Kelsey Grant, who, you know, it's a rare occasion where I follow somebody on Instagram, her handle is at Radical Self Love, where I just can't help but read everything they post, and I just find her so fascinating, and one of my favorite topics that came up during this interview was our shadow side, and this is something that has come up in the work vertical of the U-Turn podcast as well, is being aware, just having awareness of that side of ourselves that we wish wasn't there sometimes or that we don't want to look at because it's so unbecoming, allegedly, you know, so unbecoming for us to have that, you know, um, and whether you're single or you're in a relationship, I think one shadow that some people have is jealousy. Like they're not happy for other people. And in society, we make that wrong. But for me in my private practice, let's say that I'm coaching somebody who wants to launch a business or I'm coaching somebody in their career on how to figure out what their next best career path will be. What I found is that jealousy holds so much insight and that usually when somebody's jealous, it's their body's way of saying, I want what they're having. I want that for myself. So whenever somebody's jealous of something, I move towards it. Uh, and I get curious about it and I want to get intimate with it to learn what message their jealousy has to say about what they want and what they need in their life and what they dream of. That being said, there's a lot of different shadow sides. There's the shadow side of insecurity. The shadow, uh, one of my biggest shadows that I've worked with is financial irresponsibility. So those of you who've listened to me on other podcasts, you've heard my story of how I made and lost over $5 million in just a few months span of time. So, you know, yes, I had the direct experience of earning a ton of money really quickly, but I threw a lot of revenue at business problems thinking it would solve it. And when it didn't, and we ran out of money as a company, I didn't really know what to do. So one of my shadow sides I've been working on with myself is what is the wound that keeps me from being financially responsible? So there's so many different shadows that we bring into ourselves and into our relationships. But one thing I wanted to talk to you about that feels really fascinating to me is in personal development, whenever we have issues or patterns or challenges, it's very tempting to turn inward, which I think is a very empowering thing to do, and say, how am I co-creating this reality? How am I bringing my own brokenness or my own wounding or my own pain into a situation and not looking at myself? How can I take responsibility? So sometimes if you have a relationship that's not working, you can look at yourself and say, well, what am I doing to co-create this reality where it's not working? And you can become more empowered. And by you shifting, you shift the entire relationship. I know that that's possible. I've seen that very often. And I think that that's really powerful self-work. But what I'm also finding to be very true, and I'm so excited for you to be listening to me say this because I think it's one of the most powerful things I've learned directly through experience is that sometimes you might be behaving in a way that you don't like because you're around somebody who just happens to bring out the worst in you. And 
sometimes we're around people that bring out the worst in us and we look at ourselves and say, how can we be better? It has to be us. We need to work on ourselves. This is personal development. I want to take responsibility. But I want to wake you up into the possibility and invite you to explore the, the reality that some people just bring out the worst in you and it's just your body giving you feedback that they're not somebody that is a good match for you romantically, as a friend, in business, whatever have you. So my encouragement is to take a look at your relationships and see where you're disconnected or where you're in anxiety and to start exploring the question, where am I bringing my own wounding into this? Is there an opportunity for me to be better? But also explore the question, is this simply somebody who brings out the worst in me? Is this simply somebody who, and it's not like you're not taking responsibility. I don't want you to look at somebody and say, "Ugh, they bring out all the worst in me and not look at yourself at all. But I want to give you an example. I've had a lot of romantic relationships with really great guys who just don't happen to be a match. And I did do my own work in that relationship or in those relationships and take a look at where I could be better. But there were some relationships I've had, namely just two of them, if not one, where the person just brought out the worst in me. And what I mean by that was that who that person was, the way that they were being in the world just brought out a version of myself that I didn't like. And it wasn't about me looking at myself and working on myself, although I did that. It was about me looking at the relationship and saying, this just isn't a good collaboration. This just isn't a good match for me. And my body is telling me so because I have the kind of anxiety that isn't the kind that I need to work on myself. It's the kind that's an indicator I'm in the wrong match for me. So that's what I want to impart to you. This is something that I'm often looking at in my private coaching practice when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with somebody. It's also something that I'm just really hip to with my friends because a lot of them are in marriages that aren't working for them. A lot of them have boyfriends that aren't working for them. And I'm constantly being with this question of where can they work on themselves and take responsibility and improve and shift? And where is it looking like maybe that relationship just isn't bringing out the best in them? So, you know, as per usual, just here to remind you to take stock. Um, hit me up on Instagram at Ashley Stahl. I love hearing from you on the gram. And I'm so honored that you are listening to this podcast. Um, this has been the biggest joy to connect with you in this way. And I think all of you, especially if you're sharing it, you're telling your friends to listen. If you're posting a review on your podcast app of your iPhone um, or your Android, whatever app you're listening to, it means the world to me. Thank you so much for helping me get this out there. And I hope you take all of this to heart. And I can't wait to connect next week. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.